There's uh, a lot of stuff going on in this uh, little section that we're going to study in Matthew. And uh, a lot of the things we miss because we don't hardly ever think about them. We're like kids who will just assume the groceries get into the thing and, you know, that what's going to be prepared is, and you know, going to get done. And then you get it to be a little older and then you finally realize that mom and dad have to do a lot of that stuff. You get a little older yet, and pretty soon you realize that's because dad and mom are working or someone is working that you uh, can pay the bills and the different things that you have and are talking about. And, and then eventually you have to pay your own bills. And that's always a, a life-changing moment because now you've got to make your own money, pay your own bill, and otherwise they turn the water off and the house gets cold and there's no food in the refrigerator and everything else goes bad. And uh, we kind of go through that point of transition uh, from what I call basically ignorance to awareness to kind of understanding to possibly participation and from participation into actually carrying out the responsibilities ourselves. And those are all life-changing moments for us. They, they help us understand why people do and act and live and why they have different priorities sometimes and why all the things that are going on. God is addressing a very significant situation here. And there's a lot of insights, so a lot of different ways we can go. But if you look at it again, he starts off with this very important question. And he asks the question, says, Who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, he's testing his disciples. He's examining what they believe. And more importantly, he's asking them this question. What have you heard? And you begin to understand if you walk into a college campus or talk to a typical person who maybe hasn't been to church, you'll say, what do you know about Jesus? Some will say nothing. Some will say very little. Some will say, I heard he was a nice guy. Some will say, he died. Someone will say, uh, well, he lived a long time ago. Some may know some details. Some may not know very many details. Other people may... Take a confession about who he is of some kind. That, well, he's God's son, or uh, he was the Messiah, uh, or he is my Lord. You know, different levels of confession frequently come when that question is asked. And uh, the disciples are no exception. They just kind of run through the list, and they say, well, we've heard, and he goes down this look. So it goes, some say you're John the Baptist. I'll add a little bit that comes from another section of the Bible raised from the dead, come back from the dead, and that's why you get to do all these miracles. That, you must be a, a dead man come to life, John the Baptist. And then they go, some say that you're Elijah. And they say Elijah because they've been taught in the Old Testament that Elijah must come and, and be there before the Messiah comes. And so they, they're kind of connecting those two thoughts together. And others say you're Jeremiah, you know, you're weeping prophet, because you're, you're kind of grieving over what's going on in Jerusalem and what goes on in uh, people's lives and what happens. In the, you know, so you're, you know, maybe you're Jeremiah kind of reincarnate or something. Maybe, maybe you're a good prophet. And the last one there, it says, maybe you're just one of the other prophets kind of come back to life. And you go, There's, those terms float around all the time. Our culture and our world are playing with those terms. Who is Jesus? What was Jesus? How are we supposed to relate to Jesus? What you do with Jesus ultimately separates you either into the saved or the damned. How you not only say things about him, but whether or not you're in relationship and understand what I mean when I say, do you know Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? 
separate you into the very significant category. Knowing Jesus is not a bunch of information. Knowing Jesus is not an accumulation of a set of facts. Knowing Jesus is something significantly different because you are now entered into a relationship. You are walking with Christ in a trust relationship. I've used that analogy of you're walking across a tightrope and Christ straps you to his back and he carries you across. Very different than saying that you know on the one side, like the illustration would go, do you believe I could carry someone across on my back like the man in New York would go across Niagara Falls this way? He said, do you believe I can carry somebody across uh, Niagara Falls on my back? And they all shouted, oh, yes, you're the greatest, you're the best, you're wonderful. And then he asked the question, will you get on my back and let me carry you across? There's a night and day difference between the accumulation of information and the heart and life change when you climb on the back, when Christ ultimately carries you. That changes the whole dynamic of who you are as a human being, where your life is going, and the direction it is going in. Because at that point, you understand the investment. You understand the difference between giving lip service to say how nice Jesus is or anything else like that. And so Jesus turns this very thing around, obviously, in his dealing with the disciples. And he says, having heard all of those things now, disciples, who do you say that I am? perfectly reasonable question because ultimately it separates the living from the dead, those damned from those saved. Who do you say I am? It isn't have you accumulated enough information. Who are you confessing and saying that I am? And at that point, Peter speaks up like inevitably he sometimes likes to do. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now, that is not just simply a, a title. It's not, you have to understand, Peter is saying, you are the one that was promised from the very beginning when Satan did battle against you and ripped us and our lives, and we sold ourselves up off into Satan's control and to Satan's uh, uh, whole attitude. You're, he's actually saying, you're the one that was promised by God the Father. You were there at creation. You know exactly what our need is. You're that one, aren't you? You were promised through Moses. You were promised through the prophets. You were promised through all that time. You are the Christ, the anointed, the promised one that was given to us way back then. That's who we know you are. And when they say that, they're acknowledging all the promises and awarenesses, all that goes along with that. And he says, the Son of God, the, the little phrase that he adds there, uh, the Son of the living God. They would add that word living so that they would be separated from the other idols and other groups around who are worshiping dead stone. You are the Son of the God who is alive, and we know exactly who you are, and that is Peter's confession. And so at that point, Peter is very much aware of himself, his own need, and who Christ is, why he came, his purpose, and everything else. And so this is not a small confession. It's a few words trying to communicate a huge perspective. Now, Jesus makes this first interesting observation, and he says this to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. But this was revealed to you, it goes on, I'm sorry, I lost my spot, revealed to you, but my Father in heaven, but by my Father in heaven. One of the things I wanted you to try and understand today 
is that in, in reality, you and I are caught in a battle. That's why your loves, lives don't, your loves too, but why your lives don't go in the direction they're supposed to go. That battle was initiated when Adam and Eve sold all of us out in the Garden of Eden and we entered into that mindset of selfishness and pride and arrogance and stupidity and bitterness and hurt. That, had, that, that moment of selling us out produced all of the pain and the suffering, the aggravation, the, the breakups, the, the attitudes, the wretchedness that accumulates in your and my life the longer we live. We not only see it in ourselves, we've experienced it from other people. And we cry out sometime asking, why do people do what they do? And the answer comes back, because of what happened in the garden, because you are at war. You don't want to admit you're at war. You don't want to acknowledge you're at war. But the war is being waged against you, and the purpose is to ultimately destroy you. But there is also a war being waged for you behind the scenes, the same way I had the kids go, there are people out there protecting you now, standing guard, filling the squat cars, filling the firehouses, filling the places that allow you to move with relative ease and so much degree of protection. There are people out there taking care of the sick. There are people out there accomplishing many different things so that gas flows into the stations and trucks move it across this place or that place and all the other things that have to come together to make life possible. And sometimes we get so caught up in the assumptions we're like little kids where we forget all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes and what we're really a part of. We don't understand what God has really called us into. And we get busy with the things that don't matter and we just get busy in this little moment and we're just staring about when am I going to get my next piece of candy. And that doesn't change because that's the same way we sometimes treat God and the same way we sometimes respond to the battle. So here... Peter is said, reminded by Jesus, do you understand, Peter? This hasn't been revealed to you with flesh and blood. This is a work that God has been doing in your heart. This is something greater going on in your life. Do you understand where Peter was going to go? Do you understand what Peter was going to accomplish? Do you understand this moment far better than Peter did when he said it? I look at you and said, who's the one who preached the great sermon on the day of Acts? And thousands of people got saved. What's his name? Peter. Who's the one that established and worked in the early church and held Jerusalem together and did all kinds of things and finally, as far as we can tell, was willing to die for his faith over in Rome? Peter. How many people came to faith because of this man and his confession? Well, you and I can't begin to understand it. What does that make him? It makes him an enemy of Satan. It makes him uh, an enemy of, what God, of uh, everything that Satan is trying to do against us. It costs Peter's life. If you step back and you look at the life of Peter and you go back to this fisherman, this impetuous guy, way back over here, and you go all the way back here and you go, what is he? Well, he's just kind of a mouthy fisherman. Well, what else is he? Nothing. Who are you sitting here today? I can't tell you where your life is going to go, but I believe that in the same way that Peter was nothing but a mouthy, impetuous fisherman, that that's true about some of your life and my life too. The reality is if one kid today says, I want to be Jesus' man, or I want to be Jesus' woman, or, you know, like so many of these great missionaries in the past that said suddenly when they're 6, 8, 10, 12 years old, I'm going to serve Jesus. 
I'm going to go across the ocean and I'm going to be his man or woman in this place or here, 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 that suddenly all kinds of things changed because of that singular decision. If you and I step back, you because you and I live so much later can step back and look at the life of Peter like this. You look at him there, you look at his confession, you look at him walking on water, you look at his denial, you look at him giving testimony in the book of Acts, and you step back and you go, there's a whole lot going on around this man's life that he probably was totally unaware of, that God stepped back and said, I am working in ways you can't begin to comprehend. And the reason God is able to work with Peter and say, you're the man, is because he sees it from beginning to end. He has a sense of what this man can accomplish and a sense of what Peter needs to do. And the point I'm trying to help you understand is your life is just as wide open to God as Peter's life is to you and me right now. You can see a hundred things happening behind the scenes. You can see everything from his denial which uh, Dave shared, you know, in that lessons that he's learned from Peter's life. And you can see all of that, but you can also see God's willingness to rescue him in the middle of the Nile. At denial. Denial. In the Nile, too, he would rescue you. But when you talk fast, your mouth goes fast. But you begin to understand. You have the privilege of seeing the stuff behind the scenes. You have the privilege of understanding what looks like total and utter defeat for a man in that moment of denying Christ becomes the very thing that creates a humility in this man that allows him to say, I'm chief of sinners, that allows him to recognize qualities in his behaviors and attitudes that spare his life and cause him to behave differently for the rest of his life. You see things because you have the privilege of looking at the entire life story. The same way you look at the story of Joseph. You can sit here with Joseph and over here you see this kind of, well, a little bit uh, maybe naive young man, uh, kind of not even understanding how you don't brag about or you know, throw up in other people's faces about how God's going to bless you. And, and he upset his brothers. And, and yet at the same time you watch all of this misery and suffering and everything going on in his life and all of those weeks, months, and years you and I have the privilege of going behind the scenes, understanding what's going on. And you step back and go, I saw God give Joseph victory in the middle of his suffering. I saw God give Joseph victory and rescue an entire nation of people because of what God was willing to put Joseph through and because of Joseph's, Joseph's faithfulness. You get to see God working in ways that you can't always comprehend, but you get this moment and you look at a man's whole life unfold in front of you and I say what are you learning and the thing that she's trying to get you to grapple with is trying to understand what is going by behind the scene flesh and blood did not reveal this to you Peter my father in heaven revealed this to you Peter there is something greater happening in this moment that Peter is even aware that he, or he can comprehend Jesus throws this out on him and says I tell you that I tell you that Peter on this rock I will build my church I don't think Peter grappled and understood what that meant. His name Peter means, Petros means rock. And Jesus is going, on this rock, I will build my church. And people debate that. He's saying it right to Peter. 
And it could be, Peter, your, your kind of integrity, your kind of determination. It could be, Peter, your confession. It could be, Peter, the man. Because he builds it. All those things are built. Peter's the first one to give testimony in the birthday of the church on Pentecost. Peter is that first initiator of the leadership of the elder, or the, the uh, apostles. And he moves along that direction. And you begin to understand, I will build my church on this. Now notice, the builder of the church is not Peter, it is God. And so we have to step behind the scene again. Here's Peter, living his life, denying Christ, going into the upper room, and there's the day of Pentecost, and there's the Spirit of God coming down into Peter's life, and here's Peter, standing up with great boldness, and he speaks a sermon that breaks the heart of the people open with such boldness and without fear that 3,000 people are saved in a single day. And you've got to understand that behind the scenes, in the middle of each one of these situations, God, why did you let him deny you? God, why did you let him do this? Why did you let him get out of the boat? Why did you? And the answer comes back, because this is the way I was working in Peter's life. In the circumstances of your life, when you say yes or no to sin, when you say yes or no to things that you're supposed to be dealing with, it changes the whole direction of where you're going. It changes what God is going to do with you, in you, and through you. It changes where your life is going to end up. That's how important single decisions like this can be. A single confession. Jesus, of course, saw it, right? He's unveiling it for him. Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and here's the truth. The gates of hell will not overcome it. There is no way that they will overcome the church. Now, particularly when you sometimes feel like wickedness and compromise and immorality and all the junk of our culture you seems to be getting stronger, the word comes to you and says, why are you giving up? Why don't you understand what I said to Peter? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The victory is yours. Stop walking around like tomorrow you're going to be uprooted. Stop walking around like you're defeated. Step out like Peter did, right? I believe that I am supposed to be preaching this word. He preached the word. 3,000 people came to the Lord. You've got to understand that's the nature of what is going on in the circumstances of your life. You think it's all about spaghetti and dishes and dirty clothes and driving to work and doing the work. You think that's what's going on. And God whispers at you and says, Child, do you understand what I was doing with Joseph? in the mundane repetition of his life? Do you understand that from the moment I called Peter, Peter, I was working in his life along that whole way? Do you recognize my hand of mercy and grace bringing him to the point where finally he could get there and stand with boldness, preaching so that 3,000 souls could be ripped from the hell itself and be brought into heaven? Do you understand the power of the moment? Because God is trying to say, do not think that Peter is anything unusual. The only thing that's unusual about Peter is who called him. That's why he goes, I will build my church. The key phrase there, I will build, that's the I, it's Jesus. I'm going to build, construct, that's what the word means. I'm going to construct, all right, you, boom, you, boom, boom, boom. I will pull you together, and I'll put you together in this group, and I will build this church, and the church means you're next. Get up here. I'm calling you. I'm call that's what ecclesia means. That's what the church is, the ones who have been called out. And here's God calling you out, saying, you're that man right there. That's the woman I want right in that spot. Putting you right over there, 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 there. You guys stand together. And that's what he's doing. And he's going, 
I will build my church out of people who don't fully comprehend what the battle is about. Why are you going through what you're going through? Why have you suffered with what you've suffered? Haven't you ever asked the question, why am I going through this? Haven't you wondered why, where is God in all this? Can you just for a moment understand Peter's life or Joseph's life or any number of other men or women's lives in the Bible and start asking the question, what did they feel in their day-to-day life? God, when am I going to be taken out of jail? What did I do wrong that my brothers threw me in, in, uh, in, the, in the hole and wanted to get, you know, Joseph must have had a thousand questions in the mundane, repetitive life of a slave. How many weeks, months, hours did he spend doing nothing but feeding prisoners or doing whatever the head jailer told him to do? do? And here's God working behind the scenes, slowly moving all these pieces into place, bringing the people over here. The famine begins, and suddenly the brothers have to come down, and Joseph has these dreams. He interprets them for Pharaoh, and God's moving all this. He goes, what makes you think you're not a part of the same thing? The answer should be nothing. Joseph and you are walking side by side. It is the same thing. The battle is raging around you. The battle for the salvation of your sons and daughters. The battle for the life of the people that you hang around with. The battle is being won and lost by how you respond. And in the middle of that stuff, you sometimes lose the vision. You think you're busy going to work. You think you're busy washing clothes. You think you're busy cleaning the floor, changing the oil. You think that's what your calling is. And God whispers at you and says, Child, you are my Joseph. You are my David. You are, you understand, you are my man or woman. And he's raising you into that spot. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the key, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can you imagine the power of what he was speaking to Peter? I understand it. I watched it happen. You know, Peter and the other apostles would say, I have already judged this man, turn him over to Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can watch it. It is a judgment. It is a reality. What you bind here is bound there. What you bound, uh, what you loose down here is loosed up there. And it simply means I am willing to work in my life through you, Peter. Jesus is putting that stamp of approval on the people, the men and women of God. He is giving you an anointing, a sense of power. He says, when was the last time you took up arms and did battle against the work of Satan in your wife's life? Well, what do you mean? And I look at you and say, where are you living? What don't you understand, man? Why don't you understand what you're doing or not doing for your wife? Do you understand that you are entering a battle and you're preserving her life by how you treat, act, pray, and do battle with her? Do you understand what God is calling you to? And wife, when was the last time you did battle for your husband? And you started to go, I can look this way, but when I turn around, I understand all the things that God is doing. What is God teaching that man? What is God teaching him through his joys or his struggles, through his victories and through his defeats? Are you part of the solution in his life? Are you simply part of the problem in his life? Do you understand that if you could step back and say, but it feels so mundane, it feels so repetitious, I don't understand, and I look at you and I say, every day children are watching how you treat each other. Every day they watch your reactions. Every day little ones are watching you bigger kids. Every day adults are being moved either by, thank God you were up there singing, or 
Why don't you ever do something for the church? They're moved by what you do and you don't do. There is this huge thing going on of which you only get to see a tiny bit unless you put on the eyes of God, unless you hear the message of God and he looks at you today and says, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Messiah. You are the promised one. You're my Lord. And he says, good. If you can confess that and have it really true in your heart, would you please understand that you've been called into the battle, that the Father, the General, the King, the Lord, whatever word you want to use for him, has called you and raised you up. There are people in your life that need to be saved and loved and shown mercy and brought into the kingdom. You are not just changing diapers. You are not just simply raising kids. You are raising warriors into the kingdom of God to do battle and stand their ground. You are being raised up to fight at levels you have to understand because unless you grapple with them and understand them, you sit there and live like some of these people must have lived, just kind of moment by moment in the drudgery of the day, and you never step back and ask the question, God, while I'm in prison, what lesson do you want me to learn? I want you to learn humility, Joseph. I want you to learn brokenness, Joseph. I want you to learn tenderness, Joseph. I want you to learn how to really lead sinful people. I want you to be able to forgive your own wretched sinful brothers. How long do I have to be sick? How long do I have to suffer? How long do I have to work this terrible job? How long? And God whispers, a little longer. And you begin to ask the question, what am I doing to change and accomplish what God is trying to get me to grapple with? And so as you begin to understand this, God is speaking to your heart today, and he's trying to get you to understand what he had to have Peter, Peter understand. It isn't just the confession he wants you to stop with. He's trying to give you the vision. I hear your confession. Praise God. The Father's revealed that to you. Let's step up into the next level and the next one and understand what God is doing in our lives. As we do that, I want you to just pray with me, if you would. Father, there's a greater battle being fought in and around individuals in Lamb of God than we comprehend. There are lives and nations that will be changed by what the people in this place decide. The decisions that are made by us individuals have eternal impact. They change the direction of our families. They change the direction of our lives. They change the direction of everything. And so, Father, I'm praying for a grace that brings us to the point not only that we confess with sincerity and truthfulness, you are my Lord, you are the Messiah, you are the one promised, you are my God. But beyond that also, and I am entering into this battle with you, Lord, and so I pray for a grace and a peace to be poured out upon us all. May your joy fill us. Pray that in the name of Jesus. As I was sharing that with you, I listened to... Uh, the Lord was just reminding me this week we had a testimony indirectly of the president of Concordia University, Pastor Ferry. Pastor Ferry was not saved when he was a young man. A lot of people don't know that about him. But by working of God when he was much older, after he had finished high school, I believe, and you'll have to let me correct me and kind of nod, after he finished high school and was off to college somewhere, never been baptized, not a believer in Jesus Christ, not a Christian by any means. And somebody began to witness to him and pray with him and everything else like that. And in a process over a period of time, not only did he become a Christian,
but the God called him into the ministry. Not only did God call him into the ministry, because Patrick Ferry got saved, his unbelieving mother and father got saved. His brothers and family got saved. And now he sits in a position of the presidency, and I wasn't there, but Tom is going to get me the sermon, and he says, you can't believe the anointing and the power of God on this man as he preaches to the people in that Concordia University <clears throat> trying, to bring, <coughs> trying to bring them to a new walk with God, trying to bring them into the battle, trying to make them understand what's going on. And I'm looking and I'm going, do you understand the power of one man, one woman saying, yes, Lord. Do you understand how much it changes your marriage when all you do is say yes, Lord, instead of no, Lord, for the first time in weeks, months, or years? Do you understand the power of what changes when you finally say, I forgive him, instead of holding that grudge? Do you understand the power of what God's trying to give to you? Because God does. He sees it up here and he says, you know, when did Judas go bad? I mean, Judas didn't one day wake up and suddenly become the betrayer. He sat through sermons and church services and listening to Jesus and making those decisions just like every one of you 8, 10, 12, 30, 40, 60 year olds. And one day, Judas went in that direction and Peter went down on his face and understood what he needed to do. That's what God has for us today. So we pray that for all of us we would enter into that. As uh, the offering is received, we pray God's blessing over that area of your life. Uh, money is, uh, doesn't belong to us or the church. It belongs to the Lord. But how you use it is a reflection of your own heart. I'm not telling you what to do with it. I'm simply telling you, if you want to know what you believe, open up your checkbook. If you want to know what you value, examine what you're spending your money on. It's just as simple as that. Scripture's revealed it. God's revealed it. If you're a guest or a visitor today, please do not put anything in. We just appreciate you being our guest. And if you need some, and someone always keeps going, are you serious? I go, yes. Take it out. It doesn't belong to us anymore.